Today, we're chatting with Chef James Montahano about rising through the ranks in the culinary world. I'm your host, Marie Daniels, and you're listening to the Curious and Hungry podcast, where we talk to those doing some pretty interesting things in San Diego, Baja, and beyond. Welcome to Episode 2. The La Valencia Hotel in La Jolla has been a familiar landmark to visitors and part of many family traditions and celebrations since it opened in 1926. The Pink Lady, as it's fondly called, has welcomed guests to the seaside town of La Jolla for generations and celebrates its 90th anniversary this year. I headed to the historic La Valencia Hotel and met with executive chef James Montahano, where we spoke about the chef life and the hurdles he himself overcame to achieve the notoriety of creating some of San Diego's most divine food after spending much of his career in the Bay Area, the West Coast culinary haven. I found out Chef wasn't always driven to be a chef, but rather had a different dream in his early years, and that his career started a little later than he expected. Join me and take a listen to his story. Tell me a little bit about how it was that you got started loving to cook and be in a kitchen in the first place. Well, I started working in restaurants. I started working for Brigantine, so... Actually, my first job was country gentleman. I was a dishwasher. I worked my way through the ranks. Actually, I worked front of the house before I even did kitchen. So I had a friend of mine says to me, hey, I need a prep cook. I, I can teach you how to do this. We can work well together. And so I, I took his lead, and we started working together. And I, I was a prep cook, so we were prepping everything, cleaning the shrimp, cutting salad, making dressings. I remember my first big mistake that I made while I was making at Thousand Island. It, the recipe called for 10 sprigs of parsley. Mm-hmm. And I put 10 bunches in. <laughs> so, okay, that but, changes the recipe. Oh, yeah. It went from Thousand Island to Green Goddess <laughs> in three seconds. But that was that. But uh, I just slowly just got into it and, you know, became a prep cook, started working the line, and then became kitchen manager. And then from there, um, I worked the Oyster Bar in, in Del Mar, and I worked at the Gourmet Room downtown. And that's where I really got the, the true meaning of cooking. So I worked at the Gourmet Room town and country before the big takeover. This is in the early 80s, or 90s, I mean, uh, late 80s, sorry. And um, there where I really saw true food. I mean, the old school, you know, Nouvelle cuisine with turned vegetables and the, the carrot and the asparagus and the turned potato, and that's how the food really was. And then I got back to the Brigantine. I opened the Oyster Bar in Del Mar, and, you know, I had a friend who kind of challenged me, and he... Uh, he was moving to San Francisco because I'm going to cooking school. I'm going to CCA. And, uh, you know, we were always kind of competitive. And uh, I kind of followed his lead. I was like, well, if he can go to cooking school, I can too. So I was kind of in the middle of a divorce situation at the time. But uh, it all worked out moving to San Francisco. So the day I moved to San Francisco was the day the L.A. riots started, wow. the Rodney King. So I'm driving through L.A., 4 in the morning, Total inferno. You can't get off the freeway. I get to San Francisco. I get to my building, and all the windows are busted out of the building. I'm like, what did I get myself into? There was a curfew that night in San Francisco. Like, you couldn't go out. Midnight was a curfew. I'm like, it's my first night in San Fran. I'm not going <laughs> to stay here. So I'll never forget that I went to this place called Basta Pasta. It was in North Beach. Been there forever. Uh, it's not there anymore, but I'll never forget that meal. Because me and my buddy went out. We said, screw it. We're going out. So we had a rabbit with polenta. And the polenta was like chiffon. It was like the best polenta ever had. And the next day after the whole riots, it was like business as usual. Nothing ever happened. And there I went off to cooking school following this guy, Mike. And then uh, I was right behind him in school the whole time. He was always a, 
semester ahead of me, and he was always challenging me and kind of, you know, mocking a little bit, but it was all in good fun, you know, like, you know, doing this, doing this from class to class, and the whole experience of living in San Francisco was just, and I just immersed myself in cooking. If I wasn't, you know, in school, I had a job, or I was working on the weekends, teaching classes. I wasn't actually teaching, but I was like chef assistant. So that kind of helped me become a chef because watching the chefs teach other people, and as a chef, not everyone's a good mentor or teacher. So, you know, that, that really helped me. So, Well, so what was it like when you were young? Did you, did you grow up in a food family? Was your, was your family constantly all about food? I mean, why would oh, yeah. you decide to go to a kitchen in the first place? Well, <laughs> I never thought I, I was going to be a DJ. That was my <laughs> true passion was music. But there was always cooking in my house. My mom cooked three meals a day. She was a maid, so I lived at the home where she worked. So every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, from scratch cooking, from making cookies. From you know, Breakfast was different every day of the week, and then dinner was di- every day of the week different. And we ate at like 3 in the afternoon. So my grandpa, he, he ate early. So we ate dinner like 3 or 4 in the afternoon, and we had like a late-night snack if it was something. But I was always around cooking, always in the kitchen. You know, If I was helping kneading the dough or doing something little thing, but I really didn't really think about it. You know, it's just part of growing up, but uh, I really didn't fall for it, the passion until I started working in restaurants, you know. Now, San Francisco is a tough gig because it's an incredibly competitive environment when it comes to the, the culinary world up there, more so than I think that you know, a lot of San Diego has in the past experienced. Um, so you have worked for one of the great chefs what is that type of environment like and how does that form any chef that works under one of those high pressure well it's funny because mike was the chef de cuisine i actually george marone who created aqua which basically put the footprint for michael mina but you know moving to san francisco is just different culture than san diego i mean there's food everywhere in different cultures and walking down the street all you know you got greek you got italian you got korean you got thai you got vietnamese you got japanese Russian, I mean, even Irish cuisine, and it's, it's everywhere. But you know, working for a chef like George and Mike, it's just it's a it's a different way of life. Uh, you know, the chef didn't even know my name for the two first two <laughs> weeks in the kitchen. You know, I didn't even know who it was. But you know, you start out you start out in the garmage, and you know, every day it's mise en place. That's I can tell you, that's the main thing. You know, place for everything, everything in its place, and everything had to be perfect. You know, line checks, chefs checking your your mise en place, making sure everything's quality. If it wasn't quality, boom, it got thrown out and you had to start over. You know, it was pretty hardcore. And, uh, you know, w- this restaurant was emerging as a, as a top restaurant. So every night was, I always say it's like you're, you're a pro baseball player. You're in, you're in for the big game. You've got you to perform every night. If you're not, someone's going to come up and take your spot from the minor leagues. So that's how, that's how the mentality was. But the mentality was you had to work through a station and, and you worked from AM to PM and from garmage to pastry or pastry to the hotline and you had to work your way. You didn't just go into one spot unless you were coming from another restaurant. But most, most of the people in the restaurant were students. We had a lot of externs. So it's called cheap labor, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, we'd have five or six externs working at one time and it really obviously helped the restaurant but also built these young students to become chefs. I mean, there's two great guys that came out of Michael Mina. I trained over 500 externs when I was there. It was uh, Paul Piscopo, who is the executive chef of Pabu now, mm-hmm. San Francisco, and Carl Schroeder, 
one of the top chefs in San Diego. Carl Schroeder was an extern, and he, he had so much passion. He was hardcore. He was way different then as a student than he is now. Now he's just like, you know, he's a rock star. But it was really cool to see people grow through, through the ranks. One of the things that I recognize is when you come from San Diego, it is a totally different environment in San Francisco. How was it for you to come back to San Diego? Well, it's funny because I've done three tours in San Francisco and came back because <laughs> of jobs. You know, I think San Diego is a place to be reckoned with now. I mean, in the last five years, full force, you know, Brian Malarkey putting us on the mat, Chad White, Jason Nib, you know, Paul McCabe, all the, and now Javier Placencia, who is, you know, the chef in San Diego. But all these, you know, it's, it was, it's been an involvement in transition. You know, I think San Francisco has more culture because it's an older city and there's, I see it's closest to a European, most closest to a European city than anywhere in the country. So you have such a melting pot there of different foods and the different culture. And I think that's what just makes it different than San Diego, you know. But now there's, we are a melting pot. Everyone wants to come live here, work here. I mean, it's the most, most beautiful places in the country, you know. So <laughs> I feel that, you know, San Diego is, is up there now. And up next. So I had to put my career on hold and become a father again. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, it's fishmonger Tommy Gomes here of Catalina Offshore Products. Come shop with us for fresh, local seafood and hang with San Diego's best chefs. Don't know what to do with the fish? Just ask. We might even cook you a sample. We're at 5202 Lovelock Street and open to the public seven days a week. For more information, visit CatalinaOP.com. So was there anybody in particular that you can think of throughout your your coming up through the ranks that really influenced you in a in a heavy way? Well, working with George and Mike was a big influence and living in San Francisco and working with different chefs definitely influenced. I mean, I was very fortunate to work with Jean-Louis Paladin, John George, Eric Rapar, uh Charlie Palmer, uh Tom Clickio at Gramercy Tavern at the time. And, go, and even Roy, Roy from Roy Mag Yagamushi was one of the chef featured chefs at Michael Mina. So we were exposed to all this greatness, you know. Todd English, another chef that I forgot to mention. And we had short stints with these chefs, but, you know, being in that, in that realm and that level of chefs just made you just, you know, be more passionate to see the food on a daily basis of creme a la creme, so to speak, you know. It seems like that would be an incredibly inspiring yet almost... Uh, for some, a crippling experience, just having so much uh, so much notoriety on you at all times, because I'm sure in that kind of environment, there are no mistakes to be had. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure, and you know, but pressure you know, builds confidence, and, and once you're confident, then you can multitask, and as a chef, that's a big deal, it's to multitask and to be organized, and you never knew who came in. I can tell you one time, Charlie Trotter came in to eat at the restaurant, so Charlie Trotter was there with all these other chefs. So Charlie Trotter, in, in addition to Jean-Louis, you know, and all the other chefs, we had to make dinner for six famous chefs. So I can remember the night we made three of everything for Jean-Louis. So Mike would pick this or this or that's out. And those are the nights that really matter because obviously that we're showcasing his cuisine, the chef's cuisine, and to all his mentors. So it was, it, that was a pretty crazy night. <laughs> 
Can you tell me the moment you decided what was happening in your life when you decided this was the life for you? You absolutely, there was no going back. You were going to be a chef. The day I walked into cooking school, because I thought I knew everything, and I knew nothing <laughs> when I got there, and, and just going through the motions, and like I said, living in San Francisco and being exposed to all those things. I never I never applied for a job. Think I was lucky enough to get jobs through my instructors. They say, hey, James, you look like you're doing really well. Go apply here, and then go apply here. And then I met a guy named Raba, a friend of mine who was working at at uh, Aqua at the time. So I worked at Aqua while I was in cooking school. So I got double training. Wow. Okay. So there was no going back after that. There was no going back. <laughs> what do you think your biggest failure was that you had to tr really work at coming back from? Well, I guess the biggest failure was being getting divorced because that separated the family. I had a child. So the child was living with my ex. <clears throat> and then Later in life, things didn't work out for her, so I pretty much had to raise my son on my own since he was six and a half. So I had to put my career on hold and become a father again. You know, I had some resentment because of that, but, you know, family comes first. You're a father. you got to take care of it. And, you know, I could have my career accelerated faster, sooner, probably. Would I have probably been in New York working somewhere under a chef, more than likely? But obviously I had to put my career on hold for about ten years. And, you know, and that's that was probably the failure, but you know, other than that, you know, my kid now he's he's doing well. He, he graduated from USF, has a master's degree, and he's doing well in his life. So I think it turned out to be a success. If you were to take a new chef, and I know you see a lot of new chefs come through and and talk to you for advice, what is what is your biggest piece of advice for a new chef that's out there struggling, trying to get his you know his feet wet? Well, for new chefs. You know, there's this premonition that, you know, you got Food Network, everyone's going to become a chef right out of the gate. And that's the biggest deal. For, for what I tell young, I call them cowboys, sous chefs or whoever, to take photos, really engulf yourself, read periodicals, magazines, you know, get on YouTube. But uh, to travel, to go work somewhere like Chicago, New York, you know, Paris, London, go to a city and, and engulf yourself in another culture. If you can just get that under your belt and then come back, that always helps. But uh, I just think it's it's a day-to-day -day basis. And, you know, now everything with farm-to-table sustainability, I think the whole education of cooking has evolved and changed. You know, we really have to teach our younger chefs sustainability, farm-to-table, what organic's all about. And, you know, it's not just about having a pair of tweezers and putting it on the on the plate. <laughs> it's really learning how to cook. I, I've noticed that you have really embraced the farm-to-table, which I know is sort of a trendy thing, but you have taken it a few steps further, especially here at La Valencia. And since your tenure here began, uh, La Valencia has definitely received quite a bit more attention. You're very vocal about your passion for having food at the farm-to-table. Uh, you're involved in several organizations and do dinners that are not necessarily typical fancy schmancy dinners uh, you know utilizing uh, utilizing the leftovers and things that most people would think of as scraps that you did at this very good dinner a very good night dinner just recently for, for those who don't know what is what is that all about and what is your goal for 2016 with that because you're really spearheading this in a very large way here well I 
I have to say, I have to really reach out and big a shout for Flor Franco. When I first moved back to San Diego, you know, as you know, La Vie went through some hiccups. They had, had a little egg on their face. You know, it was a turnstile of chefs, and, you know, that's not good for a property. But now that I'm here, I pretty much got the farm-to-table working at Michael Mina. I mean, every week I was at the ferry building, and we had farmers delivering, you know, fresh peaches or heirlooms from Napa or I'd have a mushroom guy coming from Shasta, you know, bringing porcinis or chanterelles. And so being in that mindset, we had a, a woman up there, uh, Connie Green, who's like the mushroom lady of, of Bay Area. And we'd get all these fresh mushrooms, foraged items. So that really taught me about farm to table, bringing that back to San Diego, working with specialty produce. And what they do for me is they bring the farmer's market truck here twice a week you know, it's, it's hard for the chef to get out a lot of times, but, you know, I try to get to, uh, to uh, Rancho out there, to Chino Farms, but I don't buy there every time, but I, like, try to get out there and see what's going on. Some other chefs have the, have the luxury of doing that, like Martin Wolsey of uh, right. Mill Fleurs. It's right down the street for him, and that's really available for him. But uh, just bringing the fresh product and, and kind of having the cooking out of your hat sometimes. Like I, I leave things vague on menu, on my menu, like spring, spring or seasonal vegetable. That way it can change. Not always the same. It's what the farmer's market truck has for me to offer so I can mix it up. And it's not set in stone that you have to have a certain item all the time. But uh, we're just going to be starting a compost program here. So every restaurant has a lot of waste and we're going to start a compost program and we're going to be supporting two local community gardens you know, and it's a service. They come in, they, and we compost the items here, and they take it somewhere else. And then, then it's once at once it's all treated and ready to go. It's going to be going out to these two community farms. La Valencia is a it's an institution in not only La Jolla but San Diego as a whole. It has changed so much, and people have watched it go through these cycles with the remodel, obviously with the restaurants and things, which was a big change. And uh, how do you feel? the audience that is now coming back is receiving your change to the cuisine? Well, I think people are embracing it. I mean, there's always resistance to change. We have our new Cafe La Rue that was with the Whaling Bar, so there was a little resistance there, but people are starting to open that. It's a, you know, a French-inspired California bistro with great items and you know, farm-to-table items as well. The med menu has changed. With every chef, it changes. Mm -hmm. It depends on the chef's uh, style. So I'm more of a seafood-oriented menu here, so we're in here next to the beach, and people come here on vacation. They look out at the ocean. They want seafood. So we have seafood under the sun for you, and, <laughs> and we offer a lot. And I think uh, people really enjoy it. And the thing about here is you can eat here anytime. We've gotten away from the big grand buffets every Sunday. It's just not cost-effective, but we do it on special holidays like Easter coming up and Mother's Day. But when we do it, we go all out, we go all out for it. I have to say, you know, especially in the, the age of Instagram, uh, you know, and taking photos of all our food. One of the beautiful things about coming to Lafayette is that we all eat with our eyes first. You know, for me, my camera eats before I get to. And every plate I've ever seen of yours always comes out so beautifully. So I think that, you know, uh, and then once we, we, we take a bite, we're just all in love with your food. So thank you very much. I appreciate your time today, Jeff. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Bon appetit. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Curator Online Podcast for the Curious and Hungry. I'm your host, Marie Daniels. Find more great stuff happening in our great corner of the world at curator.com. That's C-U-R-8-E-U-R.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, get out there and explore.